0: So we have the direct experience, and we, that's also how we learn it from our teachers. So I have had teachers uh, in Japan or in other countries in the East. The only way of communicating was through touch.
1: I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Geological. For some reason, it's easier to remember the companies with lousy marketing or business practices, especially if we already have a narrative about business as being inherently bad or if we associate business with shady practices, or if we have been exposed to marketing practices that left us feeling more manipulated than empowered and informed. We should rightly chafe at manipulative marketing practices. And this creates a challenge for many of us as we work on our marketing messages to the people that we want to serve. How do we get attention in a noisy world? How can we attract the attention of those who we want to help without resorting to the annoying attention-interrupting practices that make us want to hate marketing? I suspect that marketing is much like developing as a practitioner. It's a journey of discovery. And it's not so much about copying what someone else is doing as it is about discovering who we are, how we work, what we actually and truthfully have to say, and what aligns with our values. We've all been subjected to air quotes here selling scripts. And while those can be effective in manipulating people into doing something, it's at the cost of authentic communication. Would your patients be willing to see you if they knew about your marketing plan? Would they schedule an appointment with you if they were privy to how you talked with your friends about them? I'm wondering, are you relying on someone else's lines and scripts? Or are you learning through your own experience of how to connect, generate trust, as well as establish and hold respectful boundaries? We've all had the experience of being lied to, of suffering through bait and switch, of being on the receiving end of less than authentic communication. This does not mean... We should not step into the responsibility of effectively marketing our products and services. In fact, it's all the more reason to do so. And if you're concerned that your message might be taken as manipulative, then it's a good opportunity to see if you might indeed have a hidden hook in your communications or if you're not being as authentic as you'd like to be. Just because we might not yet be good at something is no reason not to start to learn, to improve, and to recognize that marketing is really nothing more than effective communication. It's not about trying to persuade someone that they need something. It's more about offering a service or product that solves a problem that your customer or patient has been looking to get solved. Okay, I've got some exciting news. The tech department over at Geological International has worked it out so that we can live stream the next weekend Sa'am acupuncture class, which will be in St. Louis on June 29th and 30th. If you've been wanting to learn the Sa'am method from Toby, but you've not been able to travel, then join us from the comfort of your own living room later this month. And even in case you're not able to join us, the live stream will be available for replay for the next two weeks following the class. We'll be offering both NCCAOM and State of California CEUs for this, but most importantly, you'll be able to start using this method in clinic Monday morning. Sign up on the website or visit www.geological.com S-A-A-M, that's S-A-A-M, dash, class. And remember, I loves me those postcards. If you enjoy the show, there are two, nope, make that three ways to show your support. First and foremost is by sharing the podcast with a friend. And the second is by sending me a postcard from where you listen to Geological. Finally, you can support the podcast with a monthly or yearly recurring subscription. It costs less than that green smoothie thing that you tried to destroy your spleen with recently, and it won't turn your teeth green either. Golden Needle Online is a supporter of Geological because they know that a successful practice relies as much on continuing education and exploration as it does on needles and other supplies. We all like doing business with people that we know, like, and trust. People who are in business because there's a change that they want to see in the world and they want to be a part of it. Golden Needle knows that medicine is a lifelong learning endeavor and therefore supports the conversations here which serve the acupuncture and East Asian medicine community by providing a forum for the free exchange of ideas, theory, and practice. Golden Needle supports your practice with a wide selection of needles, clinical supplies, herbs, all at fair prices, and they're dedicated to outstanding customer service. They've also got a patient fulfillment service. If you don't want to stock herbs or if there's a special formula that you want to give a patient but you don't have all the herbs there, you can have Golden Needle create and ship this formula for you. It's a great way to prescribe herbs without having to stock a full pharmacy. Golden Needle, supplies for your clinic, nourishment for your mind. All right. Today is a conversation about sensing, about learning in a way that is more transmitted than taught, about being able to feel your way into something instead of working out a theory. Let's get into this. Philippe, welcome to Geological.
0: Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me.
1: I'm really looking, I'm always looking forward to the conversations. I especially love the conversations I have with you guys that are in the shiatsu world because we practice really similar stuff, our thoughts about how we work. We're thinking about meridians, we're thinking about organs, chi, movement of blood, all these things, except you guys really put your hands on the body. And so I'm always curious about your perspectives because you have such an informed sensibility from touching people. So I can't even remember how we got connected because, you know, in this funny podcast world, people say, oh, you should talk to so-and-so. And And I just know that we did get connected. And and one of the things I'm really curious about is a book that you're working on about shiatsu. Tell us a bit about how you came across this book and why it's of value. Mm -hmm.
0: So, yes, we are translating. Actually, we have translated already the Ampukuzukai. Zukai. So it's a book from 1827. It's from the pre-modern time in Japan. And it's quite unique because it's uh, one of the few books who talks about manual therapy and that we got from the pre-modern time. So there are many books about acupuncture and the theory of acupuncture, but about manual therapy there are very few books. So, I guess because we, we, as manual therapists, we have the straight experience of touching people. So, we have less time to make theories somehow. Mm-hmm. So, we have the direct experience, and we, that's also how we learn it from our teachers. So, I have had teachers uh, in Japan or in other countries in the East the only way of communicating was through touch to mm. letting us experience how it was to work with the meridians how it was to work with the muscles through direct experience so not so much about the theory and actually the theory of manual therapy like shiatsu who is my main has been my main study the theory is is uh, is not so elaborated, so it's uh, we have a few books only. And actually, when I started with Chiatsu, I had only one or two books about Chiatsu. Now there are more books available. That uh, when we look back in history, so that's why I got interested in this book. So I, one of my teachers gave me the book. I Was lucky to get. Uh, like a first edition of the book so it's also really amazing to have a book in your hands from 1827 that have been passed down from practitioner to practitioner So, (sighs) with also annotations so the practitioners have been writing in it and giving more information for the next generations so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a privilege to, to be able to, to touch such a book, to smell the book, to feel the book. And then, of course, I had to, I have, I had to have help to, to translate the book because it's in a pre-modern Japanese. So the Japanese language has been reformed a few times since then. So, modern Japanese people have difficulty to read a book. Mm-hmm. So, l- I was lucky to find some specialists who, uh, who knows more about uh, the old language and uh, help me to translate and to understand. So, it has it has been a long process. It has taken me a few years to, to work through it, to understand when they talk about different acupuncture points or Tsubos, like we call it in in Japan, to understand which acupuncture points they were talking about, because some of the points, we don't use the same names anymore. So it has been a whole research.
1: So you have something, I mean, I just love it. You're a Shiatsu practitioner, you have this book that you can hold in your hands that's a treasure trove I mean it's come down through the years from practitioner to practitioner along with what each one learned and they've written it down I mean it came with its own commentary from people that have been working through the material itself that is an extraordinarily rare find for us to have certainly something that you would not find in the digital world. I mean, we love our digital world, things are so quickly accessed, but to have something that has sort of the patina, you know, it has, you know, it's picked up, you know, the smell of people's hands and it, you know, the cooking in their house and, you know, there's all these things that infuse this book. In addition to the knowledge in it, that's, I mean, I just love that idea. I've got plenty of books on my bookshelf too, but I don't have any books quite like that. Now you you make a distinction here about modern and pre-modern can you tell us a bit about the perspective of the pre-modern japanese world when it comes to manual therapy
0: yeah the book is quite poetic written and like many literature from that time it's not so easy to read it so you need Mm. uh, background information so working with the book has helped me to understand more about the time because i had to learn like for example when they mentioned the 12 hours of the day so then we had to think okay the 12 hours of the day what what do they mean by that so i had to look back because this was a time before the europeans uh, were allowed to come into japan and so It's only in the 1860s that Japan opened to the outside world. It had been closed for several hundred of years. So we had to understand the context and learn about the whole culture. So, uh, for example, when I come back to time, okay, they say the 12 hours of the day. Mm -hmm. So then I learned that, okay, there were six time units or we can call it hours but the hours were very fluent because for example during the summer the time units when the when the sun was up were longer and the time units during the night were shorter so uh, they had a whole different way of thinking about time, and it was also related to the animals, the 12 animals. So, it opened many perspectives somehow. Mm -hmm. And I must tell you, it it helped me also to to research and to find other old books, or books that um, were from the same period or before, it has taken time and now my, my challenge is to now that everything has been translated how to to make it understandable for a mod- modern o- audience mm-hmm. and how we can use the techniques in our practice because i'm very interested in the in the roots of our profession but i'm also very interested in the modern way of looking, a modern way, or more anatomical way of looking at the at body. I want to bring both together. So it's not because I'm interested in the traditional stuff that I don't want to learn about the more the osteopathic approach to working with the organs or with the body. So I, I've been studying also, next to my Shiatsu practice, other manual therapies for example visceral manipulation or mm. visceral osteopathy and also anatomy trains uh, to really understand the body also the muscles the modern the more modern or we could say more Western understanding of the body
1: it sounds like you have I'm going to call it a binocular vision right just like one eye sees one thing one eye sees the other, when they, the brain puts it together, you get a very three-dimensional view of reality. And it seems to me that you've got literally one foot in this pre-modern time, you're looking to understand that from its perspective. At the same time, you're right up on very modern ideas. I mean, the idea of anatomy trains, I mean, that's only come along in the past you know, five or six years, as I recall. I first saw that book show up, I think, five years ago. And I'd like to hear a little bit about how you see the pre-modern world connecting with the modern world, or, or maybe they don't connect, and there's... We need to learn to understand things from two different points of view. What's, what's your sense of it at this point in time? I'm sure if I was to ask the question a year from now, you'd have a different answer, but it, at this moment with the work that you've done, how do you see these things connecting or, or, or being separate?
0: It's actually through the practice that it connects because we can look at the body from different perspectives more from the energetic shiatsu way of looking or more the physiological way of looking at the body and i I like the way i like to study i like to learn more about the body and that's like learning about the map somehow and then in the Mm. practice then uh, during the week i'm in in the terrain so i'm just meeting the people and then for me it doesn't matter if it's technique who comes from anatomy trains or a way of looking at the body who comes from anatomy trains or from visceral osteopathy or if it's more working with the meridian the shiatsu way actually as long as it works it's uh, it's great so then at that moment i don't think about okay now i'm using a technique from osteopathy or shiatsu technique for me, it all becomes the same thing. It's
1: uh, it's, it's
0: beyond concept somehow. Mm-hmm. Because a, a big part of our Shiatsu practice is actually a meditation, a communication with uh, someone else's body. And um, yeah, to be more in emptiness and to be receptive to what the body tells us because we can have many theories many perspectives of looking at the body but finally it's the answer of the body itself or the the um, communication of the body itself of another human being that will guide us in our treatment somehow
1: you bring something up here that how do I say this it's it's like it's something that's been knocking around at the edges of my awareness for a while now and it's this thing and and you talked about it in the very beginning I even wrote this down because I wanted to come back to it you talked about learning through direct experience. And you talked about, I mean, you were fortunate you had teachers that you didn't share a common verbal language, but they taught you a sensing language. I was going to say palpatory and that's part of it, but I think, I think there's more to sensing than simply palpation. And with acupuncture, we have all these theories and, and a lot of us, and and I've been there, I've got this intellectual side of me that just wants to understand stuff and tie it all together with you know a nice pretty bow and say I you know I understand the theory and the theory describes reality and I can use the theory to help people and a lot of us learn acupuncture in this way and it's helpful to a degree that can that it can help to orient us but so often we get into clinic and we go now what? because the theory only describes a small part of what's happening in the interaction with our patients. And so when you use the words direct experience it brings up for me this this sense of working beyond words, working outside of the framework of the maps that I have in my head. And I find for myself being a fairly rational guy and, and being taught that you know the mind has prominence over the body it's something I've been trying to <laughs> turn around for about 20 years now but there's this idea that the mind you know has prominence theory has prominence and yet if we can have an, a direct experience that doesn't fit our maps of the world and somehow stay with that, I suspect that there's a lot that we can learn from our patients and we will know what to do, but there's this part of us that like works out of not knowing. In fact, it's the not knowing that allows us to interact. Does that make sense? Hmm, Definitely. I
0: I must tell also, I love the theory. eh? So, and I have the advantage. uh, I've been teaching uh, Shiatsu so i have to come back because i teach every weekend so we have weekend classes so mostly every weekend i teach so when i have a first year class then i have to teach them the acupuncture meridians when i have a second maybe the weekend after i have a second year so then i have to teach them the zen meridians or more the shiatsu meridians and when i have a third year class then i have to teach so i have to come back every time to the theory then i have to teach on a third year the extraordinary vessels mm. so it helps me to to stay connected with the theory so that that's during the weekend and then during the week i can forget all the theory <laughs> mm. so then uh then i i meet uh, the patients and uh okay I, I i have a meditation somehow and that's that's what i want to communicate also to, to the person somehow reconnecting with the body through touch so we have a great medium with touch that we bring the person back to the present moment mm. and um, of course through the present we we, we reach also or we touch their past and and their future also so it's not separated there also it's a holistic medicine so also in that sense but uh yeah i love it because uh, we don't need to think during our treatment we are we have the connection with our hands feeling the body of course some bodies are more receptive others are more afraid or in pain or uh, so it, it gives us more work and uh, gives us a, a bigger challenge to to stay connected with ourselves and with the other person somehow.
1: I'm I'm curious here to know how it is, if you can even describe this, of how you bring yourself to a state where you can have a direct experience with the patient where you're not working out of your head but you're working out of out of that moment of being connected I mean so many acupuncturists they'll run around a clinic and they're working on two or three sometimes five or eight people in an hour and it seems to me moving that quickly it it may be difficult to sort of settle and connect with people have you got some practices have you got some thoughts on on how we can step out of the story in our head so to speak and get that direct experience mm.
0: for for me it's essential to do meditation on my own also mm-hmm. i have also my qigong practice teach basic qigong just because i enjoy it but i i mean i'm i'm not not really teaching the the serious stuff in qigong i i'm a body worker but uh, to keep my practice going my qigong practice i i teach a little bit and uh, for me that's essential because we as i told you shiatsu bodywork ampuku it's a manual therapy so we have a direct communication so that's a meditation with another person that helps us to stay more present because i I see it in my own practice when i do meditation on my own then i have more tendency to dream of or be occupied or thoughts Uh, carry me away somehow Mm -hmm. Uh, but being connected through touch with another human being it helps me to be more present because uh, the the other body asks me to be more present somehow of course it's a whole training also eh? I've had good teachers who had a lot of patience with me because I also wanted to understand through my mind but they always bring me back to, to the direct experience so I think it's also very necessary to have good teachers and uh, they helped me to understand through direct experience not only because we didn't have a common language or we had a very basic common language but I saw it also with the Japanese uh, students who were in the class, that um, there is very very little space for questions. Mm. There is very little space for just theorizing. So it's okay, hands-on, and just imitating the teacher. So And it's always going back to the basics, always coming back... that that i like in in the in the japanese or chinese culture you always have the beginner's mind. every time i come to japan i come to my teacher i do the basic course i Mm -hmm. okay some occasionally he shows me more advanced stuff but it's always coming back to the basic stuff and it gives uh, confidence it gives yeah it makes it more simple And then the more advanced stuff falls on its place, or I don't know how you say in English. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh,
1: No, I I think it makes, uh, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Some years ago, I I spent a number of years training in Aikido, hmm. which is Japanese martial art. Hmm. And when I first started, it drove me kind of crazy because every class began with some very basic move and it's like again and again, there's like three or there really are like three or four very basic moves. And every class would begin with the basics. And even people that have been training in it for decades would start with the basics. And after a while, I began to realize the basics are endless. Mm. You, there's always something else in the basics that you can learn from. Mm. And it broadens the foundation of understanding. Mm. So that things that, that may have seemed really complicated with the, quote, advanced stuff, it kind of falls into place then, mm. has this, this, this place to land. I find this in my practice as well, especially when I'm, when I'm not sure what I'm doing, when I've sort of lost the, the, the scent, so to speak. I've lost the trail that I was following with a patient. Right? And I start thinking in theory, and then that usually takes me further afield. and i'll and I'll just come back to, well, is it excess or deficient? Am I looking at heat or cold? Is there stagnation or a vacuity of some sort? And just mm. coming back to these very, very basic principles, mm. sort of it's a little bit like meditation, where you're sitting and you're watching your breath or or whatever you use to you know give yourself a, a center pivot. And then the mind wanders, and oh yeah, my mind's wandering, and you come back to that center pivot again. Mm. Right? Seems seems like the basics are super helpful for that.
0: Yeah, and my experience is that the information comes to me if I if I start to think too much, if uh, because I I also studied uh, TCM Mm -hmm. because uh, somehow as a teacher I found it necessary to know more about that. I have never been. Too much into needling, but because uh, I, I like the the manual therapy. But as a teacher, I wanted to have the the understanding, the TCM understanding, and uh, it helps me. And I I, I read also. I, I like to to read uh, the TCM stuff, and somehow by reading it, when I need it in a treatment, the information just comes. Mm-hmm. I had the experience uh, the other day i was listening to the radio and suddenly i heard a voice from the presentator on the radio and i heard the sound of the kidney somehow mm-hmm. because i had been reading all this theory about okay the, the voice sounds like this when it's a problem with the stomach or with the kidney or whatever but somehow for the first time it made sense and it's uh i'm a s- slow learner somehow must be because i've been reading <laughs> and teaching this for so many years but uh still wow suddenly i i got it i heard the sound of the kidney and in, in the voice of the presentator so so it's uh, such a aha move- moments that that i love and uh, it's thanks to our rich our rich um, tradition that we have so we have to come back always and read the classics and read all the theory and then we can let go of it and Mm -hmm. then the the information comes and it's a it's a creative process somehow and uh, for for me shiatsu is an art and or Chinese medicine or Japanese medicine or Eastern medicine it's really an art and we need to nourish ourselves with the classics and also by the arts by the other arts by painting music calligraphy the foods and uh, yeah to enjoy life somehow that's yeah. uh, the main thing We can give to our uh, patients, to the people who come to us.
1: Well, you, you talk about being a slow learner. I'm thinking about there are certain foods and they can only be cooked slowly. If you try to cook them quickly, they will not have the depth of flavor. They will not have the the particular texture. It, It can only come from cooking slowly. Mm-hmm. And, and I think so often we're trying to cram information into our heads and we're supposed to think we understand things and, and, and we're supposed to get it quickly. And yet, really, to, to practice the kind of medicine that we practice, it is a process of cultivation. Mm-hmm. And it is doing exactly what you were saying. We read this and we read that and then we do the things that allow us to enjoy life and we let all of it go. And then in a moment when we're working with people, something arises. It just shows up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's reliable. I think that kind of thing is reliable. But it only comes with attending to our practice. Mm-hmm. And, and, and our practice is more than just what we're doing in clinic. Our practice is all the other stuff that, that goes into it as well.
0: We have to keep on learning somehow. And for yeah, for me well, it that's helps the fun part yeah <laughs> and for me it helps to to teach also it's uh, mm. and i was lucky also to assist uh, very good teachers so um to have many years to to just sit and observe how my teachers were teaching and uh yeah, always uh, learning. First year, second year, third year, always starting over and over again. So I was uh, fortunate to to have uh,
1: good teachers. Yeah, that it, it truly is a treasure. Mm-hmm. I I'd like to shift things a little bit. I've got a, a couple of questions. I heard you. Mentioning the extraordinary vessels is something that you've read up on. Um, I've talked with some friends of mine that are Shiatsu practitioners and and many of them uh, have ideas about some things that we study in Chinese medicine. Extraordinary vessels being one, divergent channels being another. Some of these things, I mean I've been at this a while, but I, I feel like such a beginner. And especially with things like the extraordinary vessels. I find the more time I spend with extraordinary vessels, the more confused I get by them. Hmm. And I'd love to get your take on what the extraordinary vessels are about and how you use them in your practice.
0: Yeah, when when I use the extraordinary vessels, somehow it opens door in, doors in consciousness. Somehow they are. Uh, diff- it's it's very hard to put words on, on them because they, they have all their different feelings so um, and they're how to say it, it's different layers of intelligence somehow so they are of course we learned in the theory that they are reservoirs in the body and um, how to put words on it. Somehow no, they, l- let me, they- Let me ask
1: it this way. Mm. You just said they have different layers of intelligence. Mm. Why don't we dig into that a little bit? That's That really catches my interest. Somehow these layers of intelligence,
0: they envelop somehow the rest of the treatment. So, Let's say I work with the liver, gallbladder. Then it feels natural also to go to the Daimai somehow for me. But I I'm, i use it very intuitively. It's uh, not that I okay think great theories, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, working with the kidney, working with the Chong Mai, with uh, Ren Mai, they they are part of the the same system somehow it's we could say it's more deeper layers in the body that we need to address also so they are always somehow in the back of my mind they are always with me in the treatments but some sometime i need to go to a more the acupuncture meridian or the shiatsu meridian and lately I have been working more and more with uh, internal trajectories of the the meridians because with working with the visceral manipulation so working with the movement of the organs uh, then I could touch also more the internal trajectories of, of every organ through the fascia through to the connective tissue so actually I don't make so much distinction okay you, you can say okay we we open the opening points of this and this extraordinary vessel and then I work along the the liver meridian or the gallbladder or the kidney but um, yeah, it becomes one unity it's, uh, But the extraordinary vessels, I think the best thing I can tell is that they envelop the rest of the work. It makes it somehow easier to digest the rest of the treatment, if I can say so, mm-hmm. to integrate the, the treatment on a deeper level. Uh, because they are standing closer to the origin, to the beginning of our uh, existence as a human being. So yeah, I don't know if if this helps a lot, but uh, it's a, a quite a difficult question you ask me there.
1: <laughs> well, I I think the eight extraordinary vessels. Are a difficult question I mean the reason I mm-hmm. ask it is because I don't I don't under I don't feel like I understand them well I listen to other people talk and it just seems to me that there's a lot of, of mystery around them there's yeah. lots of different ideas about what they do and how to work with them I mean whereas with the 12 regular 12 meridians I think there's a fair amount of uh, agreement about how things go and how you work with the twelve meridians. Hmm. But you start getting into the extraordinary vessels. So all kinds of weird ideas about those things. Hmm. And and I'm reluctant to say, oh, that idea is right. That idea is wrong. What I just notice is there's a lot of different thoughts about it. And as we are having this conversation. And you talk about them sort of enveloping things and that they are closer to, uh, you know, that which gives us life in this life. Uh, the word that comes up for me is they're, they're eh, more primitive, but I don't mean primitive in, in you know, in the sense that they're um, somehow less than. I mean primitive in the sense they're, they're closer to the source. They're less differentiated. There's mm-hmm. something that's primary about them. Yeah, a, a sense of of not being differentiated so much, whereas the twelve main meridians very differentiated. The extraordinary vessels almost like uh, if we were to go biomedical here, they'd be more like stem cells.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, they are basic structures somehow. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so you you work that's why i talked about different doors of consciousness somehow that we can open through the extraordinary meridians so our students and our, our patients they they feel that something happens something there i call it more divine somehow <laughs> or <laughs> more spiritual that's of course the the classical meridians they are also they have also a spiritual dimension or more divine uh connection of course we we cannot uh, separate that But somehow you come more to the yeah the basic structure the simplicity the to, to come back about the consensus about the classical meridians mm-hmm. because through studying older books and uh i found some other japanese older books and it's very interesting because i always thought when i see modern uh, acupuncture books and in the beginning when i started there were not so many but now there is a big diversity there are there are many uh, acupuncture books and uh, there is more or less a consensus about how the meridians flow and uh, the acupuncture meridians but it's very interesting because when i look at some of the older books especially in japan there you see it's not so straightforward actually Mm -hmm. that there are more connections for example in a, a modern acupuncture book here in the west you see two points and you see a straight line who connects two points but i i have several japanese books uh, from the 1700s or the 1600s when you see two points they are connected by sometimes three lines uh-huh. or some points are connected with even 10 or 20 uh, or i I say 20 maybe 10 15 lines between different points and for example we know stomach eight on the head on the corner of the head so we know okay the stomach meridian goes up and then we we have number nine in in the throat then the meridian goes down so in most acupuncture books you will find it like that but in those books you see other connections you see stomach eight who connects with the Mai in the mm. in the front of the head so it's a more fluid fluent system and that's also something i learned i have my brother-in-law who is an acupuncturist in in japan and uh, the first time i met him and i came in his practice he had this beautiful acupuncture charts like like we know and so i, I thought okay we have little conversation we are therapists uh, between each other we can have little conversation about meridians and and to break the ice somehow and uh, so when i pointed out uh, the the charts he had uh, on the walls of his practice uh, he said no no that's for beginners (laughs) he said (laughs) so because his way of working with the body is really to going and sensing the meridians so in japan he had a really five-year education working in the hospital touching the person and learning more a a kind of massage that they call ama in uh, in uh, Japan so that has been his base so when he works with uh, with needles he he doesn't follow necessarily the meridians he he goes very he has a very free system of working with uh, with acupuncture and mostly he works only with one needle that he puts on one place of the body and then he sees how the body reacts and then he moves okay. the needle on another place and so he he really senses what what happens in in the body so of course in, in Japan there are many different schools of acupuncture so this this is one one of the schools so um, it's uh, very interesting because before i had this I mean, I, I met these people, I had this more rigid way of, of seeing it because I thought that there was a consensus and somehow TCM has been so structured and they have uh, made a system out of it. So, of course, it, it has helped us to to learn all everything, the basic stuff that we, that we know that we have a basic ground together but there's so much more to discover somehow mhm
1: well i i love hearing you talk about these different charts that show the points being connected through not just one pathway but perhaps several pathways and and it reminds me that the map is not the territory the map mm-hmm gives us a glimpse at what might be in the territory, but it's up to us to go in there and investigate it for And And once we start putting our hands on people or we start noticing things, yeah, there's lots of different ways that points might be connected. And there's Mm -hmm. lots of different ways that the body might be connected that we would be very surprised about. I mean, this is one Mm -hmm. of the things I think is so fascinating about the other part of the study that you're doing these days with the anatomy trains, with the visceral work, that there are other maps, other ways of sensing, other ways of being attentive to what the body might have to say. I have uh, one of my teachers, one of my very first acupuncture teachers is also an osteopath who does a a lot of, you know, hands-on sensing and I remember he's always talking about learning to, to just feel what you feel. Trust that you feel what you feel. You'll make, make, you'll make sense of it later, maybe. Mm-hmm. But that once you begin to sense into things that way, there's all kinds of information that will come up. Mm-hmm. And, and you'll have no idea what it means, but you just keep sensing and paying attention to it and seeing where it takes you. There's all mm. kinds of stuff in there. And, and I I love this idea that there are charts out there that remind us there's more than one way to think about how these things go together.
0: Mm.
1: That That's a, especially these days with everything being so standardized, quote, evidence-based, that there's one way to do it. There's one way to think about it. I mean, certainly to pass an exam to get a license, you better know that stuff. Mm. And while it will help you to get your license, I don't know if it necessarily helps us to practice. I think actually practicing requires quite a bit of unlearning of what we got in school
0: hmm. yeah that's why uh, my teachers always told me, okay, when I passed the final exam then um, that was like getting the driving driving license and- <laughs> And then uh, then you have to go out on the roads and uh, experience the whole thing but what is so rich in our culture is that we, we study also another culture we, chi- we study China or Japan and it, it helps us to, to get another perspective I must tell, okay, I learn visceral osteopathy I learn anatomy trains but I stay always true what I learned from uh, the Shiatsu, so the Yin and the Yang, the five elements, so that's my base. So mm-hmm. I made it clear for myself I will not mix the theory somehow. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to have a clear picture so that I, I stick with uh, the Japanese perspective. But of course i can go and look around and try to understand it from that perspective with also learning the perspective of uh, anatomy so but uh, it's it's so rich to to learn yeah, in, an, in another language to learn to see things different so that's that we can also give that perspective to our uh, patients and at the same time communicate in a language they can understand that it's not uh, too esoteric uh, somehow.
1: Yeah, that I find is often a challenge to communicate with my patients in a language that they understand and yet be able to express what i'm seeing feeling sensing working with from our east asian medicine perspective that making that translation can be really tricky
0: it depends on the person we meet so some people have more understanding or (laughs) some people think also they have a better understanding so um... Some some people think they know about the five elements or the yin and the yang, but that's also okay. They, some people have a more basic understanding, and then we can help them to deepen that or or learn something from them. That can also oh. happen.
1: <laughs> but, you know that that happens all the time. Yeah, I, I, feel, def, I find I'm constantly learning from my uh, patients. Oh man,
0: and learning some something I was thinking about. Uh, before this podcast i learned a lot by receiving treatments mm-hmm. and I, I think as a, especially as a manual therapist, i received uh, hundreds of treatments uh, rolfing i went for long periods for rolfing for visceral osteopathy uh, all the fascia work was very fascinating because we can learn it from specialists who who have, yeah, dedicated their life somehow to learn about the fascia. And when they touch us, we have a direct experience. How does it feel with the fascia? Mm. But uh, I also enjoy the Ayurvedic treatments more with the oil, how they touch the body. And I, I have had, uh, the, I was fortunate to live 12 years in Sweden, so I a lot of Swedish massage then you feel the practitioner who is focused on the muscles and who want to free the muscles and that that gives another perspective it's uh, not by learning all the different names of the muscles who can be fun and all the connections and so on can be very interesting but by being touched in our own muscles and to feel a practitioner who who feels at home in the muscles, uh, opens that perspective. So Mm -hmm. for, for me, that has been a great learning
1: by receiving. Well, this brings us back to where we started in some ways, talking about direct experience. And that we can have the direct experience of, of being the practitioner, using our intention, using our skill, using our, our senses to interact with the patient. But yeah, then there's that other side of being able to receive. And, and in some ways we are so freed up when we're on the receiving side, because we're not trying to do something. We're not trying to make something happen. We don't have a, an agenda. Most people come to our offices with an agenda of wanting to feel better and we take on the agenda of wanting them to to help them feel better. Mm. But when we're just on the receiving side just that deep yin allowing it in that, I mean, that bypasses all the uh, mm. intellectual circuitry and just lets the body deeply get a mm. sense of things, doesn't it? That makes tremendous sense. And also to see how how the practitioner sees
0: us mm-hmm. so when I go into practice I meet a new therapist and I go there for a rolling session or whatever or just a physiotherapist or whatever or to an acupuncturist I, I love acupuncture I love to receive acupuncture so to see how they look at us mm-hmm. how, how they look at me do they see me so do they see my potential and do they want to help me to to free my potential or do they see me as a problem and as something they have to fix somehow and that's sometimes my experience especially in the west when i go to a practitioner they think okay there comes in uh, comes in philip and uh, with all his problems (laughs) and they or they think okay how can i help this guy Um, i see okay his kidneys not this good and that and that and i see them thinking how i can how can i fix this problem Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and mostly then i I don't go back when i go to a practitioner who sees okay philip has this of this imbalance like we all have our imbalances and he touches my imbalances but in a way to help me to free my potential somehow mm-hmm. that that's uh, that's a big lesson when when we meet such a practitioners who who have gone behind beyond the the problem somehow and that's something that I learned from meeting great practitioners. That's when I meet a person to put them at ease, to yeah, to have a great time together, and to show them all their strengths. Yes, because if they are very sick, they must be very strong also. So, because you cannot survive cancer or all these problems that people come to us with if you are not very strong and we have this amazing potential in our body and that's the focus of my treatment to work with the potential of the human being and to help them because we have learned all this looking at imbalances looking at heat uh, whatever all the, all the the ways of looking at the body, but all those things are there to help us to see the potential in the human being and not not to look at the problem somehow. Yeah,
1: you know, in in our world as it is right now, so often we look at the problem. And you know our sort of air quotes here job is to air quotes again fix what's what's going on with people and in some ways i think this is dangerous for us as practitioners as well because then we we it's easy to get this sort of inflated sense of who we are because oh look at me i can fix this person over here i find that that will often backfire for me as soon as i start thinking oh yeah i've got this i understand this and i'm fixing them Usually things will go off the rails at that very shortly after that, because I mean, we get to, we get this beautiful experience of getting to accompany people, but they are doing the work and we might get to help show them and unlock some potential or help them better yet, help them unlock their potential Hmm. and then things will change. And it's not us who's doing it. It's them who's doing it. You know, people will often ask me, wow, what you know, how did you put that into me with acupuncture? Something just happened, or they'll have this state that they, you know, they come out of the treatment and and they've got that quiet, right? They've got that stillness and they go, they go, Well, how did you know how did where did that come from? And I said, It comes from you. Acupuncture puts nothing into you. I suspect the work you do puts nothing into people. It only can call out What's already there. And that really is unlimited potential. Great. <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: you you put uh, the correct words on it. So. Well,
1: it's just I mean, we've got this lovely idea in East Asian medicine and mm. philosophy that there's this thing called the Jung Chi. Mm. Right? The Jung Chi, the upright qi, the stuff that's always right, the stuff that never can be made sick it's it's all you know even up into our moment of death it's Mm. there
0: yeah
1: and uh, Mm. you know this whole idea of being able to recognize that we're here to help unlock something that's already in our patients is Mm. um, I mean I find it very enticing it it, it makes me want to go to work Mm. and then I think about you know being asked by our modern materialistic world saying well have you got evidence to show that this is there
0: yeah.
1: and I find I have absolutely no interest in answering that question yeah. I, I just come
0: back from a weekend with my qigong teacher and it, it was wonderful because the thing she said was that yeah if you know that you're on the good track it's because you feel more joy and you feel mm. more gratitude and that's that's the right thing it's uh if we can feel joy if we can feel that it just comes natural it's not not something we have to look for but just through the practice that we can feel the gratitude to do this wonderful job that we have to feel the joy and to yeah like she talked a lot about or not so much she just talked a little bit about the virtues like the kindness and actually that that's work we are doing cultivating the virtues and without becoming too spiritual about it or having ideas about spirituality just to feel the joy to feel the gratitude to be alive and to to be touching other human beings and and uh, communicates
1: and being alive well that sounds like an awful good practice for a practice (laughs) 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 hey I just want to ask you uh, we're getting close to uh, to an end time here tell us a little more about your book in terms of when it will be published and how we can get what languages it will be in and how we can get our hands on it
0: so it will be published in english so of course i get help uh, it's not my language english so i write a little bit in french and dutch who is my language so then i get help of my english teacher so who will help me to put the correct words on it so it takes time so the the translation the the old books are translated so now it's just my job to to make it uh, practical somehow and uh, soon we are we will have our base in japan so we have been living many years in in brussels now but now it's time to change perspective Mm. so i want to have the perspective to look now from the east to the west somehow to be immersed in the japanese culture to eat the japanese foods to have japanese people around me also a few westerners of course that i i want to look from japan to the west now so that that will be the next uh, decades that will be like that. Mm-hmm. So I will be coming to to Belgium to to teach. We we continue the school in Belgium. So I come twice a year here, and I teach also in a few other schools here in Europe. But uh, the main the main time I want to spend uh, in the culture I love. So that's why we are preparing our move oh, wow. quite that's soon. Huge.
1: So, wow. In in the book, I, I understand books take a long time, uh, being in the middle of a book project myself. It always takes way longer than I imagined, um, which, which I think is probably helpful because if you think, hey, I can get this done in nine or ten months, then, then you'll begin. Whereas if you're thinking, yeah, maybe it'll be two or three years, you know, you may never even start. No. Um, but with that in mind, is there is there a date when we might be able to hold this translation in our hands? yeah
0: i don't dare to promise yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> because i have done that a lot now so it's already uh-huh. four four or five years that i'm okay, working good. on it i didn't promise anything but people have been asking because i talked talked about the book but uh, the deadline is uh yeah end of the year next spring mm-hmm. so by then it has to be ready so um, next so that so that will be spring 2020 so yes.
1: then the book has to be ready okay great it's um well you know we're talking about slow cooked meals and and I, I i think good books are slow cooked hmm. so i look forward to reading that uh, philippe thank you so much for your time today this has been a delightful conversation and uh, gosh I'd love to come visit in Japan that would be fun
0: yeah you're most welcome and thank you very much Michael and thanks for your wonderful podcast I'm listening very often to the podcast I enjoy it and uh, yeah continue the
1: good work thank you it's my pleasure All right, friends, that's it for today. I hope that you have enjoyed this conversation. If you like the show, there's a couple different ways that you can support it. First, most importantly, share it with your friends. You find something good, share it with people that you think would find it helpful as well. You can also go over to the iTunes page for the podcast and rate the show. And if you decide to do that, just type a few words in about what you get out of the podcast. It helps people define the show. And finally, you can become a member of the podcast. You can become a geologician. It's just five bucks a month. It gets you some extra content. There's some good things over there. And of course, my unending gratitude helps keep some inspiration in the teacup. Very important here at Geological International. Again, thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.